Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Welcome to Radical Australia Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. 855 on your AM dial. This program is podcast, and you can access the podcast if somebody knocks on the door and offers to change your electricity plan. Don't worry, it is podcast. Empress Dale Bridge, how art thou? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm alive, and that's about (laughs) it. I mean, you know, I shouldn't be in this studio. You're going to be cooped up with me for an hour. Who knows what you're going to catch? Mm, Uh, Joe Germs. Joe Germs. Boy Germs. Boy Germs. Hey. We have... We non-gender have binary germs. Non-gender binary germs. That's boring. Ooh. That is boring. I like my germs to have a sexual orientation. Huh? <laughs> okay. I don't think they discriminate, though, Joe. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. That's why I'm, I'll be pleased to be able to share them with you. Now, we have, a, <laughs> we have an exciting guest. We always have exciting guests. Or should I say an excited guest? Mia Spitzika. Yes, hi, how are you? Don't ask ask the listeners how they are. (laughs) Now, Mia, you had a question before. You said, uh, you know, you were concerned Asia would be listening in. Look, don't worry, they've got budgetary constraints as far as non-Islamic terrorists are concerned, so we actually send them a copy, okay? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so (laughs) don't worry about it. Just tell us the truth. Nothing will ever happen to you. The Australian Constitution protects you. Ha ha. All right, Mia, we asked two questions. Only two questions. You've got 55 minutes to answer. Yes. The first question takes 10 seconds. Another one takes 54 minutes and 47 seconds. Cool. Cool. This, this is one tough cookie, Dale. This is one tough cookie. She isn't uh, not breaking under pressure. By now, people start sweating. All right, first question. What year were you born? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> well, what decade were you born? I need uh, to, I need after to... the war. <laughs> after the war. After the war. Second what? World War. A Second World War. Yeah. Okay, you were born after the Second World mm. War. That's all you're going to tell me? Yeah, that's all I'm going to tell you. After the Second World War. Yes. Before the Vietnam War, obviously. Yes, a bit before the Vietnam how about, War. How about the Mala- I was a child during that time. Yeah, and how about the Malaysian emergency? Malaysian uh, emergency? Yeah, around about. Yeah, 61, we've picked it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and the second question, take all the time you like. 
what is the first thing you can remember as a human being on this planet? Oh, that's easy. I remember going up and down a set of stairs uh, as a very young child. I was probably about 10 months old. Excuse me? You have a memory from 10 months old? Yeah, I remember that because my grandmother fell into the bathtub and I could hear her banging into the bath and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) And as a tiny little child, I sort of used to go up and down the stairs bum first. Oh, yeah, yeah, 10 months, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's acceptable. Yeah, I was... I wanted to walk really quickly, <laughs> and I've been running ever since. So your grandmother was looking after you, was she? No, we no, the, no, the whole no. family lived together, grandparents and parents. Excuse me? The whole family lived together? Yeah, two generations, three generations actually. What, both so. sides? No, just no. Uh, my father's side. Your father's yeah. side, obviously. Yeah. And where was this? Um, I think at that stage we lived in... Mol- uh, no, Caulfield. Caulfield? Yeah. So you bought your dirty European habits. To Caulfield, yeah. To Caulfield. Oh, we lived in a fruit shop. You lived in a fruit shop? Yeah, upstairs. Or above, upstairs, that's yeah, better, upstairs. upstairs. Yeah, well, we lived at the back and upstairs yeah, yeah, of a yeah, fruit yeah, shop, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was uh, born when my parents mm. um, had that fruit shop with my grandparents, yeah. Mm. So you were there? Yep. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Oh, they came after me. They came after you, yeah. so it was you, your grandparents, yep. your mum and dad? Yep. And all the fruit and vegetables. Yes, as far as I can remember, I can still smell them. <laughs> you wouldn't have the variety you have today, would you? No, it was actually the um, beans, potatoes, uh, spuds, uh, mm. you know, the Brussels sprouts, etc. Yeah, mm. the zucchini and the aubergines or melanzani came later, mm. and uh, I can remember that we used to with the first boxes of. Um, uh, zucchini, etc., because the customers didn't know what they were. We were swimming in zucchini every right. night. Right. We had zucchini fried, zucchini baked. Zucchini fritter. <laughs> yes. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So did you actually bum your way up the stairs to assist your granny? No, I just could hear her. You could just hear her. Let's yeah. remember that. Yeah, I remember was that. Was she quite swearing quite... in Italian? No, or... just ah. Ah, right. It was a generic R, right. not gender based. Not gender based, not <laughs> racial, <laughs> not nationality. Just no, just pain, R. Pain, pain, <laughs> yes. yeah, pain, primeval yep. pain. Yep. And did anybody rescue it? You know? Oh, yeah, no, everyone went up. Yeah, I, I don't remember all. All I remember is chaos. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but right. that's my earliest memory. Right. And how long did you live in the fruit shop for? Um, well, during my childhood, we actually <coughs> moved to two or three fruit shops. Um, Excuse me. Did your family have a fruit shop addiction? Well, we were fruiterers. That's how fruiterers. We yeah. right. <laughs> That's how we made our living as oh, a family. Yeah. So we, we moved from Caulfield to, I think, Box Hill. Mm. Yeah, Box mm. Hill, Station mm. Street, Box Hill. Mm. It's now a Chinese um, food shop of some sort. Yeah. 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 So where did your parents come from? Oh, they came from Italy. Italy. What part of Italy? Oh, do I have to say? Yes, you have to. Uh, it's the most vilified lot. You know that. Calabrians. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> How did we know? Don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can imagine good, God-fearing Australians <laughs> down at Port Melbourne <laughs> seeing these bloody Calabrian peasants coming off the bloody ship wondering what's happening in this country. Well... Yes and no. My grandfather had been here before the war. He came in 1927. Right. What yeah. to catch you again? No. He came to Melbourne because we had relatives here who'd been here since 1925. 
Right. And were they refugees from Mussolini's Italy, the relatives? Um, I'm not sure. Mm. I think they may have had some reason for leaving uh, that we could never really work out because no one really spoke about the past. Yeah, because that's interesting because there was a very, you know, as you know, there was a very vibrant Italian refugee community in, in Melbourne in the 1920s, mm. quite mm. a radical one. Mm. So did, that, did they have anarchist connections? No, none. None, right. They had no political connections. None. None. Well, they were what we would call apolitical. Apolitical. In other words, if anyone started talking religion or politics, they'd just move away. Because they knew. They knew if you get involved in anything, it's trouble. Right, yeah. right. And what am I involved in now? Well, we've got a long time. Don't yeah, yeah. worry about yeah, it. Yeah, Maybe yeah. your parents were right. And, <laughs> and your grandparents, did they also obviously came? What's the village in Calabria? Um, it's Montebello. Montebello. Very nice. Very nice. Was it a Montebello? It's actually a very, very difficult place to actually make uh, a living. Right. It's, it, you know, the, the mountains are very, very high. They're about 700 metres. Mm. Uh, they're in the, uh, in the last... Uh, they're the last in the chain of uh, Italian mountains down in the south. Right. And the inclination of the mountains is about 60 to 70 degrees. Right. So there's uh, very small terraces of about the width of a table, a kitchen yep. table. Yep. And the the soil is actually a shale. It's it's a raised seabed. Mm-hmm. So um, my mother said that she recalled that when they sort of, that her parents took her along with them when they did their farming during the day, that uh, she'd pick up uh, rocks that had um, imprints of uh, sea shells. Shells, yep. And, in fact, they were actually not imprints, but they were um, fossils. Fossils, yeah. 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 Uh, 700 metres above sea level. So... This Very is, hard to live on that land. So this was your dad's parents? Uh, both, both my parents. Both yeah. from the same yeah. village? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty common. It's almost Tasmanian-like, isn't it? Mm, not quite. Not, not quite. quite. They 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 tried to marry out mm-hmm. um, for obvious reasons. Yep. Yeah. Um, my father's side is actually very interesting because we can't figure out where they actually came from. They're not actually from the in- indigenous groups of the area. The indigenous groups were mm-hmm. um, Greco-Romano and and some of the indigenous people right. who were there before the, the right. Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of all the earthquakes and all the invasions, you have a lot of movements in uh, into the valleys, up into the mountains when the invaders came. Then when the earthquakes happen, you go down into the valley. So the, the movements that I've sort of managed to find out about until about 1700, mm-hmm. um, the families that lived in this area were not of the same um, uh, genetic group. There, there was a lot of mixture. Mm-hmm. Were, were, they, were they part of the uh, Roman Catholic Albanians that were invited across um, no, that was another group, but yeah. my father's group, um, mm. they were very tall, very blonde, very mm. very light-skinned, mm. and the the family myth goes that they're actually pirates on the high sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can, I can believe that. Looking, um, <laughs> at you, looking at you, I can believe that. Um, and, and in actual fact, they traded in salt. Uh-huh. 
salt and probably tobacco. Probably um, Albania and and mm. the, the that um, area. Yeah. That area, yeah. So that mm. coastline there, because what the family myth goes is that they came up the valley, mm. and at the top of that valley they established their home away from the village mm. but they were they were seafarers right so um uh, i find that um difficult to sort of trace back right. you know because mm. uh, the documentation you know right. the are your parents still alive oh yeah oh yeah so they're we, more alive than me so we can't really <laughs> say any bad things about them <laughs> What was, what was what was your dad like as a dad? Was he a traditional? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, he he loves his children. He I can remember as a child he used to take us to the swimming pool and take mm. us um, to all sorts of things. But um, our main activity was to go to the great uncles and aunties' house yep. at the weekend where everyone used to gather like – Dozens and dozens of people, all the cousins, all the aunties and uncles, all the relatives, and mm. we'd have these mm. huge feasts of really wonderful food. And like you know, my parents, my father used to play his guitar, and my grandfather used to play the mandolin mm. or, or the mouth organ, and we just have these feasts every weekend. So Friday nights was at home in front of the fire with grandfather and father playing different instruments and my mm. grandmother singing and my mother singing and clapping and the children dancing. And then Sunday was the big feast at the Rellos. What happened to the fruit shop? We didn't have seven-day tr- day trading in those days. Oh, no, you did. You but did. Uh, but But by the 1950s, they went back to five-and-a-half days. Mm. Sorry, si- uh, Five and a half, half days, days yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in the suburbs, it was just the, the ones near the seaside that were um, opened, I think, a bit longer. Mm. But during during the um, 1920s and 30s, yes, there were 24-hour fruit shops at St Kilda, yes. Yep. My grandfather was in one of those. Mm, yeah. So he used to um, do... He used to work as the um, cinemas came out and as the theatre came out, the Palais... Mm. Everyone used to come in and buy, buy their ice creams and, you know, a piece of fruit or, you know, sort mm. of whatever they needed. So so the shops along Eklund Street were mm. vibrant at that time. Right. And what was your mother like? Still is, yeah. Uh, my mother, um, traditional, traditional Italian mama, lots of cooking, mm. lots of different recipes, lots of exotic mm. sort of sweets. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, she's able to knit r- fancy patterns, uh, knit jumpers without patterns, mm-hmm. um, needlepoint, pull, mm. pulled thread, uh, embroidery, crochet, All that. everything, dressmaking, you, na- you name so it. Everything she can't do, I can't do. <laughs> so you had a traditional, what, traditional division of labour in the house? Yes, uh, very, very much so. I, <laughs> I don't think my mother knows what a rubbish bin is because father used to take that out. Right. But then dad can't cook an egg, so right. <laughs> so that's that's how the family sort of... And you have brothers and sisters, you said? Two brothers, yeah. Two brothers. Yeah. What are they like? Are they still with us? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. my brothers. Well, you don't know, you don't know, we don't know, do we? No, that's true. They might have gone true. to the moon or something. Oh, no, no, they're no, here. No. No, they're both pretty, pretty with it. Mm. Yeah. Did your parents say anything about life in Australia in the fifties and sixties when they were running their fruit shop? No, they were really happy times because even though we, we were fairly poor, and I can remember we were poor because I never had a Barbie doll. 
Um, and everyone else at school had a Barbie. So if, if you don't have a Barbie doll, you don't have money to buy that. Um, Deprived. No, not really. No well, Barbie I, doll. I, I didn't. No, it. no blonde Barbie doll. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, what did they? They didn't actually. There wasn't really very unhappy talk in the mm-hmm, house. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of really happy talk, and it was mostly about what they used to do as kids. So right. there were there was a lot of storytelling yep. of what the village was like, what growing up was like. Um, there was a lot of. Um, there are a lot of um, uh, stories, funny stories about people who did funny things. Yeah, um, that type of uncle, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there are a lot of uh, – grandmother used to love her um, mm. invention of sort of exotic characters, etc. So she was a great storyteller. But um, my parents certainly never spoke negatively about anything. Anything, right. And obviously the Jews dialect in the home? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 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 So explain, explain to people. Explain to people what dialect is. Okay, so my dialect is what would have been called Latino volgare. So vulgar Latin. Oh. Yes. Yes. Uh, so it's peasant the, Latin. The working person's um, language. Yep. Um, now, in terms of peasantry, uh, they were landed. Uh, landed peasantry, in other words, in the 1860s, 1880s, their grandparents bought the land from the barons from the church so that they could actually have their own land and that no one could take it from them. Um, But uh, And this happened because uh, some of the great-grandparents actually went to America and worked on the trans... American railways and brought the money, money back. back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so the families weren't poor, as in you know, not having enough food, but they didn't have um, uh, coinage. They didn't have a lot of money to trade with. Yeah. So there was a barter economy. So, I'll give you ten liters of oil if you can give me ten kilos of beans so that I can plant my next year crop. So there was a lot of that. Um, And, you know, the the trading also, um, you know, took in various things like pork sausages and uh, prosciutto and all the the rest of it. Well, my family on my my mother's side didn't bother about buying the land. (laughs) Oh, they took it. (laughs) Because... The surname is Del Popola of the people. Oh, yes. And that was given to people who used to burn down the town hall and burn the <laughs> records, which was a traditional way in Sicily of acquiring land. Well, yeah, well, you see, the thing is that we're, we've got a, a few skeletons in our closets too. That's um, right, yeah. Um, now, on my mother's side, about five generations back, I've got one ancestor on my mother's father's side who um, when all the lands were being, um, you know, sort of when the barons actually were in control. So this would have been um, before the unification of Italy in 1861, 1870, around about that time. So it would have been just before that, um, that seven brothers, uh, all from my mother's father's side of the family, um, had a dispute with the local baron. And in fact, it wasn't the baron, it was his brother or his um, son or whoever, who was the um, town priest. And at that time, the the priest had the nuptial right to sleep, to have the first sexual encounter with your wife if mm. he decided that he wanted to. Mm. But because the priest was a compare with mm. this ancestor, compare means that he was the the 
baptism patron of that family. Mm. So that family must have had some sort of status in the village. Mm. They were sort of minor chieftains, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he said, look, you know, um, we're compari, we're related, like, you know, by religious bond. Mm. You can't sleep with my wife. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm going to. Mm. So what... Uh, as the myth goes, that these seven brothers rose up in rebellion against the baron. Mm. Uh, you can tell, uh, you know, I've got rebellious bl- blood. Mm. Um, and they actually eliminated the whole family. It's good. You've always got to, in a good vendetta, <laughs> you've got to eliminate the whole family. Very Calabrian. Because you know what happens if you don't eliminate the whole family? Yes, they come back to bite you. Exactly. And, well, these were a Sicil- this yeah, family yeah. was from Sicily, oh, though. Yeah, I expect right. that. So, they yeah, would have come the, back to bite you. Yeah. So you did the so, right thing. So, but one of the infants in that family was survived, hidden, survived because oh. he, he or she, he I think it was, oh, yeah. was hidden under a, um, a, a pot or something mm. and was swifted away to Sicily. Not good, not good. And the descendant of this child yes. and the descendant, one of mm. my cousins who's a doctor, they both were in the same medical um, lectures oh. together yes. at the University of um, Messina. Yes. And they resolved their vendetta. They resolved it? Yes, they resolved it. That's very nice. Now, where did you go to – did you go to kindergarten or preschool? No, not at all. Where did you go to primary school? Uh, St. Francis Xavier in Box Hill. A good Catholic education. Oh, yes. I I don't know whether it's very – What was it like? Well, it was was pretty strict. Strict? Very strict. What do you mean strict? Oh, 1960s were pretty strict with, with the nuns. What a strap and oh yes yeah measuring the uniform yeah oh, yes that that was constant yeah Sunday prayers um I don't remember Sunday <laughs> prayers <laughs> uh, we weren't that my family no. is not extremely religious no. normal normal Italian Catholics yeah well, yeah no. Christmas well. Easter marriage funerals yeah yeah that type of thing so did you excel anything in primary school. Um, yeah, I, I um, well, I had a sort of a pretty rocky start. Um, I was always sick as a as a um, first, uh, you know, prep and first mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. Um, with uh, extreme tonsillitis. So I, I was hospitalised, and they almost killed me with penicillin. I'm allergic, and they, they didn't know I had the last right. Well, so I can die any time. I'm fine. I've had the you're last right. You're only the child of an Italian migrant. It doesn't really matter. You know? <laughs> that's right. You've got to you understand your place in Australian yeah, society so, in the 60s. Yeah, that's right. The tonsillitis almost did me in, but and I can remember um, the shock of doing a, a test the day after I came back from hospital as a first grader. Mm. Yeah, first grader. And I can remember that the teacher gave us dictation and I had to spell the word one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd never learnt how to spell the word one. So I spelt it W-A-N. W-U-N. Mm. Of course, I got it wrong. Well, how was I supposed to know? I never learnt it because I was three months in hospital. Um, so um, I think that actually triggered this desire not to be cast out because, you know, if you couldn't spell... Mm. And you couldn't do your work at school. You were sort of cast aside. That's right. You were put in the back row. Yeah, well, I was, yeah. Yeah, So I think from then on what I tried to do is actually excel at everything. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't excel at maths, but, you know. Um, I excelled at everything else that I could, especially history, Mm. geography, 
art, uh, science. Looking at you, he wouldn't have excelled in running, running, jumping, kicking. Running, running. running? I excelled oh, in that's running. Good, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. For my little legs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sort of, I was really tiny, tiny child. Yeah. 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 How'd you do? How'd, where'd you go to high school? High school, oh, look, I started at uh, Catholic College next door, mm-hmm. Sion, and then I transferred to Templestowe High. Templestowe High is no longer there now. What, why did you transfer? That's interesting. Uh, look, um, I sort, for some reason I sort of felt that I wasn't doing – that the, the um, there was some sort of claustrophobic feeling in the, in the convent. Yeah. Um, and I sort of felt that there was something more out there. And because I came from an Italian family that we were very sort of um, cloistered, yep. all we did was sort of have our family and our relatives. And, I, you know, my Australian friends, I could see them at school, but there wasn't any such thing as going to Australian friends' place for a sleepover, nothing like that. No. Oh, God no. forbid. Exactly. Um, uh, and... You know, it, there there wasn't really um, any way of actually knowing what real community was like, like the world out there. Yep. Um, so I sort of, I think it was sort of a subconscious desire to challenge myself to see what the real world was like. So what did your parents think of you moving? To, oh, no, it was fine. It was because, fine. Because by, by that stage, we'd sort of moved to Templestowe. Right. And it was... It's much cheaper. Yep. I mean, you no, didn't no have to fees. pay. No fees. That's right. And and um, mm. it sort of coincided with my father actually uh, being sent a letter by the nuns saying that they were going to take him to court because he didn't pay the fees for the previous year. Mm. Well, my father had always paid the fees. They got him mixed up with someone else. Mm. And he really took offence to that. And I can understand why because he'd always paid on time. Mm. And... We, the family would go without other things to pay for my school fees. Um, so to be told that you know that that oh, it's a slap in it's a slap in the face. Yes, it is, and I can understand. And they didn't a proud have, man like him who yeah. would actually have paid all his bills on time. Yep. and he saw that as a, a measure of what a human being is. You know? Well, that's right, and, yeah. and 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 that sort of projects on the whole family, mm. and then mm. by virtue of that, it projects on our whole community mm. of southern Italians, and it makes us look worse. Mm. And the one thing we wanted to do was be, you know, assimilated. Well, not assimilated. We wanted in our home. We wanted mm. to be who we were, but outside the home, we wanted to be like everyone else yeah. and to be accepted like everyone else. Mm. So you know, we dressed like everyone else. But in your home, you can do you you can be whoever you like in your own home. Mm. But to then be sort of um, uh, you know told not only that you didn't pay you know the fees, but a letter sent home saying that they were going to take legal action. And he just said to the nuns, well, why didn't you just call me mm-hmm. to see whether that's correct or not before sending a letter like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, apparently they didn't even apologise. I, I don't know if that's true or not, um, but mm-hmm. from recollection... The church yeah. doesn't need to apologise. <laughs> Mia, you should know that. Oh, look... Never needs to apologise for anything. If, if what's been we've heard over the last few years makes... Uh, Sense you don't apologise. Well, yeah, I, I know that that's a legal. No, no, th- there's a legal reason the for that. In, yeah. pope, pope's infallible. No, well, look, they made a mistake, you know. And no, we, no, we didn't take it. No, we didn't take it seriously. All right, what year yeah, did you finish yeah. high school? Ah, then you'll know how old I am. No, I won't. <laughs>
Was it in the mid sixties uh, or, or late sixties? No, 60s? La- oh no, in Early the seventies. In the seventies. In the seventies. Yeah. Now, how did you go in year twelve? I went really well, mm. except that I, um, uh, I, I had a, f- I made a few errors of judgment, and the area of judgment was that I helped another student with her art folio the night before I did my economics exam. Mm. <laughs> Not a good thing to do. And she failed anyway. Ah. I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, so, um, so instead of spending that time relaxing and getting my act together with the yep. economics exam, just that one mark more would have made all the difference. difference. Really? Okay. Yep. Because that one mark... Uh, put me down that one one score um, in in that subject, uh, which I'd done really well in the whole year, um, and um, and then I think uh, for art, which I'd already always had a a plus for yeah, art all yeah. the way through school, mm-hmm. because art history wasn't taught very well at school. In fact, the teacher didn't teach it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't excel in art history. Mm-hmm. So those few marks, instead of getting me through to the course I wanted to do at Melbourne Uni, I ended up at La Trobe, which is not a bad thing. Exactly. Because La Trobe... I'm I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. La Trobe (laughs) in the 70s was a very vibrant, interesting place. Well, yes, it was. So what did you do do at La Trobe? Sociology. All right. Look, it's 4.30. This is Radical Australia, Community Radio, 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The Empress Dale Bridge is pressing the buttons and being very polite and concerned for poor little Mia, and we're interviewing <laughs> Mia Spitzica regarding her life. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even realise this was going to happen. All right, so... What, what did your little Joe tell you? I know. He said, oh, just, you know, we're just going to talk about your research. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 he's a Sicilian. He's a, he's a born liar. Oh, he's well. a genetic liar, <laughs> little Joe. Uh, well, it's the only way we can get people to the studio. We yeah, say, I suppose. We're gonna t- You'll get about three minutes at the end. Yeah, that's yeah, it, we're yeah. More oh, no, that's in, fine. We're more interested in you than your research mm. at this stage. Anyway. Well, well, it, it, that's why you see the the reason why I've done the research I've done is because of all this stuff that you're asking about. Because mm. it sort of <laughs> leads to a crescendo of you know sort of being such a passive female in an all male. All my cousins were males, mm. so I was the only female, and um, you know, passive, you know, girl. You know, I always did what my parents wanted me to do, etc. So, so going from that and you know, sort of opening my mind to the possibilities of the real world, um, and then reacting to it with the extra studies that I did, and everything I've done in my life is because of the challenges that were put there. Had I had no challenges, mm. I would have been happily married to some. Diplomat. <laughs> Diplomat. Wow, I like this. <laughs> Told a whole stack of lies all my life. Happily. Ha- happily. <laughs> Not happily. Yes, you know, sort of sent the kids to Scotch College and, uh, you know, whatever is the top school and then you so actually do nothing for society. Did you actually get your sociology degree? Yes, I excelled. Excelled. <laughs> And what happened after that? Did you go uh, on to I, masters and all no, that? No, no, I, I know because I didn't know that you could do honours. Excuse me. 
no one told me that I could do honours. I mean, right. we, we were in a group of wogs. Right, that's right. We yeah. were a group of wogs. Yeah, yeah, you know, I understand. You, you, the, we morphed from Dago's in the 50 to the wogs in the 60s, 70s, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. This was um, this was uh, Bob Hawke's Australia. This yeah. was Gough Whitlam's Australia. We were wogs, but, you know, and we, we entered uni. That was That was the golden era of education, tertiary education. The education I got at La Trobe was as good as you could get at any university in Europe, in America, anywhere in the world. Mm. It was fantastic. Most of my lecturers went on to establish departments at the ANU and became the top academics in Australia in their field. So mm. I got a fantastic education at La Trobe, I must say. Um, but I didn't know you could do honours and masters mm. because, number one, um, you know, I was a girl. You know, so girls, girls mm. became teachers. Yeah. But instead of taking on the primary scholarship that I got to to go to primary teachers college, mm. I rejected it and did the the degree at La Trobe. Right. Okay. And then went on to do secondary teaching, but it wasn't enough. I wasn't satisfied. So, so I went on and did more studies. Like, but, but did you teach a secondary? Yeah, teacher? yeah, I taught. I taught for about thirteen years. Thirteen years. What was yeah. that like in the in the late seventies, early eighties? <laughs> well, first I taught at a Catholic school. Oh. <laughs> All right. The yeah. wheel turns full circle. Yeah, yeah, and that was like, yeah. Anyway, I, I won't even go down that path. Right. Um, and then I taught um, in a migrant language centre where you know you had a lot of refugees from different parts mm. of the world. And I taught at high school as well. Um, but the Migrant Language Centre was really like another um, period of absolute joy because I could give everything I could possibly muster to wonderful kids, you know, primary and secondary in the language schools mm. um, from all parts of the world. Um, at that stage, it was mostly Vietnamese, um, Cambodian, um, a few Laotian and a few Afghan, right. Afghani. Mm. Um, and that was just a, a wonderful time in my teaching career. But it still wasn't enough. <laughs> it still wasn't enough. So I went off and did more studies and then I got a scholarship to go to Italy. <laughs> More studies in what? Ah, uh, more studies. Um, I did a, um, uh, I did a um, master in education. Right. A grad dip in teaching English as a second language, and mm. then teaching Italian as a second language. Mm -hmm. Master of education. Then I went to Italy and studied Italian as no, a second on, language. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Scholarship. Who gave you a scholarship to go to Italy? Yeah, the Italian government. The Italian. Why you? Why? Because I pestered them for so long. <laughs> they eventually. Why gave... did they give this poor little Calabrian girl? Oh well, it was only six hundred dollars. The scholarship. I mean, yeah. You got to Italy on six hundred bucks. Yes, and you could in those days. <laughs> <laughs> was no, it was, and and then and then you had three hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But but when you got there, what year was this? Ah, uh, we we won't say. Was it in the late eighties? Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you didn't go to Perugia, did you? No, I went to Siena. Siena, even better. Yeah, oh. yeah. So here you are, 
Is this the first time you've been back to Italy? Yeah, well, yes, because that trip I coincided with my parents going down to Calabria. Right. And that was the first time I went to the village. How did you feel when you went to the village? Well, well, let me tell you all those stories that Grandma and Mum told around the fire on Friday nights and all the guitars and blah, 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 that, you know, all this mythology of the wonderful village was exploded. Exploded. (laughs) As, as we drove from the, the town, uh, you know, the main town, which is Reggio, right up, and it, this was Ferragosto, si. 15th of August, yes, the yes. hottest month of the year in Italy. It yeah. must have been, you know, 35, 40 degrees. You go up into the mountains. It, it was like being, you know, you've got that vision of Afghanistan, all this sort of um, dusty... Yep. Yep. You know, pale mountains. Yeah, well, that was what it was like. And you go up this winding road up into the mountains, and it was this if I was being sucked back into the womb. You know, it was just yeah. you just have this feeling that you're sucked into this sort of never never land. I, yeah. you know, it was like going to the moon. It was yeah. an amazing thing. Then you sort of go over the, the this arid area and then down into the valley, and you get this amazing greenery with all the olive trees and the valley full of um, um, almond trees, olive trees, uh, um, oranges, lemons, etc. It was, you know, the valley was lovely, but but close up, Mm. when you actually look at the land Mm. itself, Mm. it's very arid. Uh, And the only way that they water it is is through um, sorgente, aqua sorgente, um, uh, spring water. Spring water, yeah. 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 So, the myths. Oh, yeah, lots of myths. And that's why everyone left the village. And the moment they left the village, they did really well wherever they went. Yes. Because they were as tough as tough can be. And they didn't want to go back. No, none of them wanted to go back, no. Yeah, because it was a tough hand-to-mouth existence. Very tough. But even if they they weren't starving, you know, a lot of the families really worked hard and and they were comfortable. Mm. But it's, it's like... Moving from Melbourne to Darwin and living out in the outback right. in the Northern Territory. So if you come from the Northern Territory outback and move into a big city, mm. you feel a certain nostalgia for the, for the landscape, for yes. country, yep. but it's so much easier to live in an urban environment where you can catch a tram yep. into the city. Mm. You turn on the tap and the water's there. Mm. You turn on a switch and the light is there. You don't have to go and get the oil from the um you know the storage area and then put it into the lamp and you know get some matches and light it all of the comforts of urban life in those villages was completely absent mm. and yet they were very happy in the village mm. and then when they came to australia they were even more happy because life wasn't just um a, a a struggle for existence. A struggle. Well, it's not even a struggle for existence. Mm. It's um, it's daily chores yep. that you need to actually survive yep, yep. in the countryside, mm. and you do this even in in the Victorian countryside. Yep. You know, you mm. go out and you get your wood to heat your house. Mm. Well, in Melbourne, what you did is you actually turned on the electric heater. <laughs> so, what did uh, your Siena teachers think of this strange little woman from Calabria who's speaking? Ancient Calabria. Oh yeah, no, they they didn't <laughs> like it at all. It took it took quite a while. I took about six months 
to actually start producing the sounds that they were used to in Italian. So Italian became my third language mm. because even the syntax and the structure was different. Right. And by the time I'd been there for a year, mm. I actually spoke a fairly good Italian. Mm. Um, and uh, But then um, if I speak – if I uh, speak Calabrian, which is a very ancient language, um, it takes me a few minutes to get the fine tuning of the sound of real, you know, standard, not real Italian. <gasps> shouldn't say that. Standard. Ta- Tuscan Italian. Tuscan Italian, yeah. Tuscan Italian. Bloody because- Tuscans. <laughs> invaders. Dominators. They should all be put to the sword. Oh, well, each to his own. Well, yeah. Tuscan Italian, that's right. They say it's Italian. It's not. It's Tuscan well, Italian. Well, it's, it's... Because there is a movement standard. now back... There is a movement now back to the... Uh, to the ancient languages, languages. Yeah, 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 there is a movement, yeah. 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 So how long did you last in Italy? Uh, about six and a half years. How did you survive? For, not on this $300 a month. No, no, nah. that, that stopped after a year. I, I got a renewal, yeah. um, you know, a few months at a time, but yeah. that stopped and I started working as an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, with the British school um, in Siena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a job uh, working as a, English as a second language lecturer at the university, but as a lettrice. Uh-huh. So it's, they call lettrice um, someone who reads English. Mm-hmm. Yes. But in actual fact, you're actually paid uh, the same um, amount as a tutor. Yep. So whilst a professor may have been paid $100 an hour, I was paid about you know, 20 or whatever. Um, And with that, with a sort of casual contract, I sort of survived for the six and a half years. Plus I did translations. Mm. Um, I did, uh, I assisted with um, peer-reviewed journals for the doctors at the hospital because it was a teaching hospital. Um, And uh, I also um, trained the bankers at the Monte de Pasque Bank. I trained them to sort of attend conferences Mm -hmm. and present papers. Mm Um, and they used to just burst out laughing every time I sort of said something in Italian that they thought was funny. So, <laughs> uh, and they thought, oh, this really funny person, you know, she's saying things in Italian that we would consider really, you know, sort of yes. um, risque. Yes. And I, I didn't have any – I had no idea what they were talking about. Exactly. It was, yeah. And it was usually I'd say something like, yeah. oh, my father has um, uh, a peach tree in his backyard – and the word peach in their dialect, in Tuscan dialect, meant a woman's backside. Yeah, yeah. And they'd say, oh, you're lucky father. <laughs> <laughs> How many different types of peaches yes, does he have? Yeah. Oh, this peach uh, and that peach. I remember yeah. I, was in, I was in Milan in 1981, that's right, and I was giving a lecture at the Milan Anarchist Centre, mm. which is one of these centres which people got back after the Second World War. Mm. You know, the anarchists mm, got mm. their property back. And I was talking, you know, I was talking... In broke well, I was talking in my dialect, in a mm. Sicilian dialect from around uh, Taormina, and I was using the word Cristiani mm. for the people, mm. not legenda, pop, not legenda yeah, pop, or popolo. I was saying yeah. Cristiani, and every time I'd say the Cristiani, there'd be this ripple of laughter. <laughs> so I could, because <laughs> you know, here I was. I mean, it's only the Christians that are people. Yeah, in the dialect. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's that historical context. Well, because you know? of because of all the invaders. Yeah. That's right. It was yeah, just yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I didn't. It was only after they told me why they were. Yeah, laughing. I know. And I, I used to get this all the time. You <laughs> yeah, know. So yeah. in the end, you know, you work out what's what, and yeah, you know, yeah, you start so. speaking like the natives. Yeah. So why'd you come back? 
Ah, well... You um, weren't deported, were you? No. No. Um, <laughs> well, it... See, there, there's always a push-pull factor, and mm. the push factor was um, that, you know, the job I was doing was, you know, sort of, well, it wasn't neither here nor there, you know. So I was still... I was a foreigner. Yep. Even though I thought he was, Ita- I was Italian, mm-hmm. the Italians thought I was a foreigner. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I was a southern Italian foreigner. foreigner. And not only that, I wasn't even a Sicilian. I was a Calabrian. That's right. You know? I mean, so I was the lowest of the low. And, right. and I didn't yeah. even have blue or green eyes. It's a little bit like coming from northwestern Tasmania. Yeah, absolutely. Same concept. Yeah. 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 Like if you had blue or green eyes, you know, we, we'd sort of say, yeah, you're okay. But, you're one you of know, us. Yeah. You're one of us, but not really. So... Yeah. So, um, uh, and, you know, basically my great uncles and aunties started dying in Australia. So mm-hmm. on my trips home, um, you know, I came for one of my aunties, great aunties' passings. And then as I was leaving, her husband, my uncle, a uh, great uncle, he said, return, torni. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was the last word that he ever said to me. Um, because by the time time passed, he he left the planet, mm-hmm. um, and I could see that my whole th- this whole wonderful childhood I had with all these great uncles and aunties and these extended networks of cousins. Well, they were all boys. They all got married, and because in Italian families they're not patriarchal; they're actually matriarchal. Mm-hmm. You actually move; you become part of your wife's family, your extended family, as a boy. So I started losing all these male cousins mm. to their marriages, as in, you know, sort of they, they formed their own families in their own clans mm. in different parts of Melbourne. And then all my great uncles and aunties and all my relatives were getting older and dying. So I wanted to be here for them. So um, so I returned um, as, as the other uncles and aunties, great uncles and aunties started to decline mm-hmm. and the only ones left now are my parents okay so so, so there what, was did, a pull did, factor there yeah. did you have to go to work when you came back to australia yes yeah i, I taught you I, taught. I taught at rmit mm-hmm. uh, what did you teach um cross-cultural communications mm-hmm. i was um an assistant lecturer there and whilst i was doing another master's <laughs> um and then um that department closed and i lost my job and it wasn't. It was a sort of a contract job. So yep. Yep. I haven't had a real job since about 1990. Right. Um, so the, these are all contract jobs. So you really don't have any, you know, any anchors. Well, you can move wherever you like, but then you don't belong anywhere. No. So then um, uh, I taught. I then worked for a short time in a government department. Um, and then I went back into education again. Mm. Uh, did. And you had any children, or no, not um, at that stage? No, no. no. Did you? Um, now you've embarked on something quite spectacular recently in the last few years. Yes. And what have you embarked on? Well, last few years, we're talking about seven. This is my seventh year. Seventh year. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, look, <coughs> I uh, I thought. Look, um, I really feel fantastic when I'm researching and studying and and sort of doing stuff for the community because I've often done community work. 
So, I, I, you know, I'm a JP and yep. um, probably one of the few Italian female JPs in Victoria mm-hmm. and certainly one of the few Calabrian females. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, so I've done community work all over the place and I thought, no, that's not enough. I want to do more. I'm, you know, th- there's just more that I can do. So I embarked on um, a PhD in 2010 at Melbourne Uni, and um, I thought, well, I'll do something on, you know, Italy, the Italians, how people over three generations, they can actually go from pennilessness to a fairly comfortable existence and from, you know, for example, my my grandparents. Or Governor of Victoria. Yeah, that's right. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's possible. What happened? Yep, that's right. So, so, um uh, my grandfather had no formal schooling. My grandparents had no formal schooling. And um, by the time my parents had schooling, they only had primary schooling. Uh, but there was a huge um, jump from that sort of educational background to what I was managing to do. So um, I thought, well, why not just do a PhD on how this sort of process happens and what are the elements that bring people out of poverty? So as I was doing that, I started um, researching on my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Antonio. And um, he was in Australia in 1927, and I suspect probably running away from what was happening in Europe, but I can never know that. Um. And um, there was a five-year gap in his, in the storyline, in his narrative, um, in what my parents were able to tell me about him. Yes, he was here 1927, 1930, 1935, etc. And then when I went to look at the National Archives documents, because there, there are, there's his passport there, there are all the documents of his arrival, etc., etc., I found these documents on his internment. In other words, he was actually detained during World War II as an enemy alien. And I thought, no, that can't be so. I've never heard about this. So then when I looked at his documents, I sort of found hundreds of other names. And then I looked at other documents and I found thousands of other names. And then I realised that in actual fact, he wasn't the only one. There were tens of thousands of people from nations that were at war with Australia, Germans, uh, Asians, Italians, Spaniards, um, Macedonians, Albanians, um, people from Finnish sailors Mm. from Finland. Um, All these people had been detained in Australia as enemy aliens during the war for one year, five years, six years, some even for seven years. And they weren't even military people because we actually had... 18,500 Italian POWs here in Italian uniform Mm. who were prisoners of war held for Britain or Australia, um, captured in North Africa. Um, uh, But apart from those, we had tens of thousands of civilians held here. Male and female. And female. Mm. If I may mention, which is not part of my current research, but but this actually may lead to other stuff and maybe your listeners might want to pursue any uh, research, that we actually held uh, around about six to 8,000 um, Taiwanese who were then called Formosans for the Americans, for the USA. Mm. We also held Javanese 
for the Indone- for the Dutch, uh, and we held also Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders who and were Torres Strait Islanders all removed from the Torres Strait. Correct, yep. correct. And um, any Indigenous person who was in a German missionary settlement throughout Australia, possibly forced, pros- possibly taken, and uh, kept at the missionary. They were taken as enemy aliens because they were considered to be um, working for the Nazis. Mm. I mean, how how absurd could that possibly be? Um, uh, you know, you had the Japanese pearlers from Broome and, and all the rest. Uh, and then you also had um, uh, Chinese who were mistaken for Japanese. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as well as a lot of Chinese seamen. A lot of mm. seamen were taken. Yeah. Um, so um, so all of this precipitated in trying to find out what happened to these people. Uh, and this has led me on um, no wild goose chases. Mm. It's all mm. ended up in absolute platinum research mm. material. Mm. Lots of times that I've had to go to the National Archives Library um, toilets and just cry my eyes out when I've read stuff. Um, especially, you know, one I can remember one time when I read about the children held at Tatura with their parents, Tatura internment camp, um, and they had been uh, captured in Palestine and in Singapore mm. uh, with the other Italians uh, and also the German Templars from Palestine. And the women were actually fighting over woolen cardigans for the children because it was so cold and there weren't enough cardigans for these children. And these would have been gifted by charities. It's interesting, isn't it, that we really, really, really haven't learned, have we? When you look at Manus no, Island and the no, roots, the no. same, exactly the same process. No, and that's because we're not looking at our history and yeah, we're not actually... Yeah. What we're doing as a nation, I'm speaking as an Australian now, yeah, yeah. Um, is that... We're not taking the responsibility of saying, well, look, I'm adult enough as a nation to own up to the things that I've done to innocent children, innocent people, women and children who really couldn't help but have an Italian passport, a German passport, a, you know, mm. or whatever. Mm. Um, they didn't start the war. Um, so... Yes, we as a nation made these mistakes. We actually kept them mm. in camps with machine guns faced at them. That's right. They had machine guns every single day pointing towards the families. All right. So <clears throat> so what happens is that when you read the documents, um, the families are trying their very, very hardest to make life really fun for the kids so that they don't notice all these guns and things. Mm. I, and I have to say, the guards were actually quite pleasant to them. They were affable, okay? So there wasn't anything in the, in the records that said anything bad about the guards w- with the families. Mm. But um, – and, and the families were, were keeping their children safe by creating happy environments for them, okay? But when you look at the records of the women – who suffered mental breakdowns and it was framed in a way that, oh, um, Mrs Bianchi, uh, she was transferred to hospital for two weeks. But it doesn't say why. But when I found out what the hospital was, it's it's a mental asylum. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, 
When do you think you'll finish this study? Ah, hopefully by October. October. Yeah, I'm, I'm revising. I've finished all the chapters. Right. And I'm revising it. And after, the, after it's examined, do you hope to publish it? Yes. For a wider audience? Yes. I'm, I've got one book already at the printer. Which, which is what? Okay, it's called Hidden Lives. Uh, what, what I've done with the families, and, and this is my um, uh, commitment to the families who've, who've been interviewed, mm-hmm. um, I've said to some, uh, the people who could write about their family's experience, uh, I've gathered 15 stories together, and the authors are the children of internees, or, or actually I've got one who was born at mm-hmm. Tatura as an internee. And... Um, I'm collecting an anthology of their stories and it's going to be published as a book called Hidden Lives um, and that's going to be out sometime later this year. And then I've got other families who want to tell their stories so mm. we're collecting those. But the one thing that I want to mention to, to listeners is that I've made a commitment to those families that we're all going to share any profits, $0.04, cents, $4 or $40, whatever comes from the from the proceeds of the book, mm. we're all going to share equally. Every family shares in the profits, whatever the profits are. We got in one minute. Yep. Plans for the future. Yes, I'd I'd like to be able to teach at uh, a university to be able to explain to the next generations what we do as a nation to people that we fear. It's n- not that Australians are bad people; mm. they fear and you know the enemy. Attacking them, so it's sort of an all-out thing. So I'd like to be able to teach the next generations, and in, you know, have the books in the schools to tell the truth about what we do to people who are not like us. Mm-hmm. And the reason we can do it is because constitutionally it's all legal. That's right. Because, it's all legal. Yeah, that's right. Because in fact, a lot of the people who were interned mm. were British subjects, and their British subject status was taken from them. That's right. Because um, there's no. In the Australian Constitution, there's nothing such as uh, individual rights. Correct. There's no protection for the individual for the arbitrary exercise of state power. Mm. Well, Mia Spitzkaki, thank you. You're welcome. For coming in. It was a pleasure talking to you. And we could have spoken for another hour. Absolutely, any time you like. What we're going to do is we're going to give you an invitation. Yep. Once you've got your PhD. Yep. And you've done your book. Yep. Bring in your little book and we'll do a special hour. Okay, that's cool. Okay. Thank you, Mia. Thanks, Thank Mia. you, Dale. Thanks. Bye. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows